Welcome to Soccer Talk, a podcast about soccer, mostly in Iowa, presented by Kick It Forward. Kick It Forward is a positive disruptor to the Iowa soccer community. Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Insurance Services and Michael Keener, Attorney at Law. You need legal help? You need insurance help? Those are the two to contact. That's right. Welcome to the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Iowa soccer supporters. Ben Brackett here with my good buddy and co-host, Blake Siebers. Blake, what's up, dude? Hey, Ben, doing well today. So far, so uh, so good. Yeah, we've been busy with the old kick it forward uh, activities in the past few days, haven't we? Just mini pitches all over the place, podcasts all over the place. Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun times. Busy, but fun. Well, before we get into today's interview, let's just um, touch on what we touched on in the end of our last episode, which was the announcement of the Pleasant Hill mini pitch, which we're really excited about. Um, Pleasant Hill, uh, Sunrise Park there in, uh, I don't know, Blake knows the location better because he's an East Sider, but um, we're really excited that that'll be installed here um, the first part of July and people will be playing before we know it. Yeah, it's, uh, we're obviously really excited uh, about it. Some got great support from the Pleasant Hill community. And uh, I don't know, it might be my favorite one because it's just down the road. Yeah, shout out to Mayor, I can't, I'm not going to say her name correctly, Kurov, Kur, Kurovsky? Sarah? Yeah, mayor shout Sarah. out to the mayor of Pleasant Hill, uh, soccer player herself, that I think uh, her support was, was vital. I mean, the, the whole group was pretty supportive of it though, right? Yeah, and if anybody wants to kind of watch the city council approval, go to our YouTube page. That's a good plug, isn't it, Ben? It is, yeah. Great YouTube page that Blake's been curating. And then, you know, don't forget to follow us on social media. You know all those tags, so we won't, we won't waste our breath on that. Um, we're going to jump into an interview here with Joe Berger, who, uh, in addition to being a former Soccer South coach and Drake Soccer assistant, um, spending a lot of time in the Des Moines community. He's now moved on and is the executive director of uh, the Kansas Soccer Association. Uh, so we thought it'd be interesting to kind of follow up on our Dan Cataldi interview, uh, have a chat with Joe and see how things are a little bit different maybe in Kansas. And then next week, we're going to have a chat with our, our old buddy, Casey Mann, who is the executive director in Nebraska. Yeah, and hopefully our listeners will uh, be able to listen and kind of compare and contrast the different challenges, the different goals, how things work uh, outside of Iowa, but just next door as well. Yeah, and we had a little genius idea. I think maybe uh, two or three weeks down the road, we'll have a little round table with all three of them and maybe talk about s- some of the, the differences in person. Should be cool. Yep. All right, well, let's get, to, let's get it, to Joe Berger. Well, welcome, Joe Berger. Joe, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. It's a sunny day down here in Kansas City, so I can't complain. It's hot as Hades up here in Des Moines. Yeah, it's going to be 90 plus with a heat index about 95, 96. So it's steaming up for sure. We had we had some storms last night, so the humidity is going to score. It's going to be it's going to be the first sticky day I've had in a long time since coming down from Minnesota hadn't had many of these days so oh, I bet. it's gonna be interesting well that's well, funny it's amazing that, uh, you... uh 
Sorry, Ben. Go ahead. I would say it's amazing just three hours from Des Moines to Kansas City how much uh, the temperature can differ sometimes. And you forget about it. You just forget about how it is that the humidity is here. And when I was at the JUCO, I remember our trainer telling our kids to take four T-shirts because it was 100% humidity and, you know, 90-some degrees. And the kids, the trainer would tell the kids to change their T-shirt every 15 minutes because the water wouldn't go anywhere. It would just stick in their cotton T-shirt. So, yeah, I, I forgot about all this and what it feels like. And, and being a suit, I don't know if I like how I have to dress to go to work because it's a little bit more <laughs> sticky than I used to. So. Well, it's funny that you bring up the weather because you're talking to our resident meteorologist down here, old Blake Sievers. Uh, I was just going to say, Ben, like as much as people probably don't want to hear about uh, our conversation about the weather, it's, it ties into who we are a little bit. <laughs> it absolutely does. Uh, but so, and I'm sure you've listened to most of our podcasts, right, Joe? Um, yes. So, so you know good. what's coming, coming up yep. shortly. Yep. Yep, so first, sure do. first question always, Joe, is, uh, is this your first podcast you've been on? My first podcast, but not my first interviews. I was interviewed a lot when I was in South Dakota on the local news. I was big news there, I guess, for a while. So, But yes, first podcast, for sure. That's, uh, all right. So our, I, uh, I love it, Ben. We're going we're gonna to grill him big time, for sure. <laughs> Well, I think, uh, Ben, then go ahead. I mean, Joe's yeah. kind of alluded to kind of where we want to begin a little bit there with the South Dakota and the JUCO and whatnot. But. Yeah, and then even just talking about uh, before we were on the call, talking about his Soccer South days. So, Joe, we just kind of like to give everybody a chance to uh, walk us through your origin story, um, talk about how you got into soccer, maybe like, you know, your days as a player and how you transitioned to coaching and then obviously now where you're at. Uh, oh. the executive director role. Yeah, so uh, pretty interesting story. I started late. I didn't start playing till I was 11 because I had an older cousin and he would beat me up in the backyard, kicking me in the <laughs> shin a lot. So I had to survive and then I got in the league and I was pretty good. And this is way back when you formed your competitive teams where a dad just picked the 15 best guys out of the rec league and put a team together and go. So that was a while ago. Where'd you grow up, Joe? I'm, in, I'm from Kansas City. I grew up in the Lee Summit area of Kansas City, so the southeast suburbs. Okay. Um, Greenwood, Missouri, more specifically. So it's now, a, you're, so it's like you're coming back home now. I'm home, yeah. So I came back home after my, my coaching stint. I played college for Sean Holmes at uh, Baker University for two years and then transferred to UMKC. And then was the assistant soccer coach there for four years under a guy named Mike Brown. Uh, when coached the C team at Liberty High School in Kansas City, Missouri, to an undefeated season for a year. And then ended up at Southwest Missouri State, Missouri State, for two years because I called John Leamy asking for camp brochures. And he was asking what I was going to do. And I said, I'd like to get back into college coaching. So ended up there. Hey, Joe, what, um, uh, let me interrupt. What year were you at Missouri State? Uh, Southwest yeah. Missouri State? Yeah, so I was there uh, 99 and 2000. So you – I coached Mark, Mark Motorson. Uh, Post-Mark okay. Motorson days. Motor, Mark Motorson, yep, he was there. He was a sophomore and a junior Okay. Um, with a bunch okay. of Kansas City So that's guys. when you guys – I mean, you guys were nationally ranked at that point. Yeah. 
Yeah, we were number two behind Stanford. We were undefeated. And uh, we were seeded number eight in the NCAA tournaments. And they sent us to UAB to play because the Cooper Sports Complex had a couple sprinkler issues for the facility. So we were seated and went on the road. Um, it was a magical year. Like we would be down two goals and come back and win a game. It was 1999 was pretty special. You know, they got it. They got, we got it right. Um, and yeah, it, it was pretty fun. Um, but like a lot of names that probably Iowa people don't know, um, but it was mostly St. Louis and Kansas City guys, and they, they what was were the, the guy was it Chris Brunt? Chris Brunt, yeah, he was he was a sophomore when I was there, sophomore and a junior as well. Um, kind of went, but we had a goal scorer from St. Louis named Mike Williams who scored a ton of goals. Um, it was just a good, solid team that the chemistry was right, and. Went on a special run, but we lost three to two to UAB in the first round of the NCAA tournament. So, but uh, yeah, that's it was, what, did you guys come up your time to play Drake there at the, next to the tennis center? I mean, you guys were in the same uh, conference, correct? Yes, no, um, we were in the same conference, but Drake came to us. So Drake came to us in '99, and we played at the tennis center in 2000. Yes. I remember those days, Ben, do you? I mean, we'd go oh, down there and absolutely <laughs> yeah. have to be an afternoon game. And yeah. And then, and then from Missouri state, I went and started the program at Barton County community college and had a, my second year, we had another magical year where we made it to the top eight of Juco. Um, we actually <laughs> were one, three and one, and then reeled off 14 undefeated, un undefeated games and won our region 1-0 over Johnson County and won a shootout in the uh, regional uh, regional final against East Central and St. Louis and we find ourselves in Tyler, Texas. Um, so a couple met I mean it's just another situation where the kids they the chemistry got found its way and we were winning ugly and had our moments but it was special time and then from from Barton County I made my way to Drake for the six years in Iowa um to be with Sean Holmes reunited with my former coach um what was that like was that something where you got the phone call from him or uh you were just out trolling for a job and you gave him a shout well we were talking so I was the coach of the uh Kansas 88 ODP team and there were – he was recruiting Garrett Webb, Luke Gorsica, Michael Thomas. He was coaching several kids off that team. And then he uh, – the assistant was moving on, and he said, hey, Joe, do you want to come up here and, and come work with me? And I said, yeah, I'd love to get back to D1. So it was, it was a phone call, but it was kind of mutual connections and probably him – understanding that I had some relationship with some guys coming in and it was just maybe like a perfect storm where it worked out where we could reunite. So I thought it was good. Great so six that, years, great six years at Drake for sure. So that was when you got to coach old Blake Sievers. I did. I did. Um, Lucky man. I, I mean, let, let's, uh, Blake was the toughest guy on the team most days. 
Um, he can Best technical player. Uh, if you call kicking the ball really far technical, yes, he was good at that. Um, but you loved Blake because he wouldn't duck out of a challenge. Like me and Coach Holmes would joke, and oh, here we go. Blake is crunching somebody. And if he <laughs> didn't crunch him, yeah, if he didn't crunch him, he was trying to chase him and. I don't know if he would catch him if he got behind him. So he had to keep the game in front of him a little bit. So it was. I always love playing with Blake. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I I remember a heartbreaking moment for Blake, for Blake too. I believe I, Blake was a senior year and we were at Bradley and it was a semifinals and it went to a shootout and all that stuff. And it was just heartbreaking. Did Blake miss? I did. Uh, oh no. Did uh, save it or yeah. did you miss the goal? Oh, goalie saved it. Which is worse? But it was kind. It was kind of a duff, wasn't it, Blake? Like you it wasn't the ground, kicked the yeah, ball. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't the best. Uh, the best penalty. I mean, but, but it, but, 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 what what made the moment? Not the kick that made the moment so real for me was Blake's reaction about how devastated he was and how much it meant to him and that he's willing to take it and you know like, he, he and you just saw what what college soccer and Drake soccer meant to him in that moment. And that, and that was a pure moment that always stayed with me. It wasn't the kick. It was how he reacted and, and go, man, it was important and how we, how we felt and just saw the, all the raw emotion come pouring out. And it was Drake's a bulldog. He bleeds blue. <clears throat> well, but it, but it was, but it was all, you could see like, how do I want to describe it? You could just see, the love for the team, for the opportunity, for everything in that moment and what it meant to him because he was – it it was crushing, but it was beautiful all at once. I mean, we talk about that, Ben. Uh, don't, often we see these kids that are good enough to play college soccer and they don't for all sorts of different reasons, but it's like it kind of – it's like devastating to us to not see kids um, – I don't know, we kind of live through them a little bit, don't we, now that we're older, just to, to not have that opportunity or not to get those experiences. We talk I'm, about still get, I'm still trying to get over my college career, the end of my competitive playing career, let's put it that way. Yeah. And, uh, it, and it just, it's just, unfortunately, back in those days, it was so final, right? When it was over, it was over. It just was done. There was no, you know, there was no extended season. It was just just over when they're graduating and, and do that. It was just, it was doing, you could just see all the, the hard, I mean, everybody on the team, like when, when the kids at the end of every season collapse to the ground, you go, man, this, this was special. This group was special. And, it, and it's all of them that you ever coach, but just how quick everything rotates around and the turnover in the teams. And it, it must be hard never, from a coaching never, standpoint to see that every year. You just go you know, like, <laughs> Every year you, you bond with this group and then part of them yeah. leaves and you start over. Right. And then you ingratiate a new group. I mean, it's just the turnover. It's the turnover. And it's just like, man, I get it. But it's, but it's always hard because of the relationship you have, whether it was a positive one or, you know, a tumultuous one. It's just one of those things where you go, man, I still don't want it this in, even though we had our moments and, and this and that, you know, it's still a relationship and you hope it continues in some way. 
So let's kind of elaborate, Joe, when you were in Des Moines uh, at Drake, you, you brought it up earlier, Soccer South, um, your Soccer South days, give us, uh, you coached there a little bit and just talk about what else you did here in Des Moines soccer-wise. So basically, I ran the, the, uh, the camps for Drake University and had a fun time, but basically Soccer South and I did some coaching education, um, not a lot, but Soccer South was kind of my my baby, given to me by Sean. Him and a bunch of guys put together and wanted to start a rec program. It only went to U12. Um, and then we surrounded ourselves with the likes of Barry Sheridan, um, some dad coaches, a Drake player would help out. But it was uh, kind of a, a – we weren't looking to win state cups. We did everything locally, and we could be – we didn't have to win games. We could try to develop and kind of grade kids, but you know, we'd start with our eights and our nines and tens in the little Academy and we put in a system and we would integrate them on technical nights. Everybody in the club would be there. I mean, we had about 80 kids at the time and you know, we'd have the five or six coaches out there with me running it and it would be great. But then at U12, you know, we just kind of sent them to on their way. So we didn't have the stress of winning state cup. We didn't have the stress of trying to recruit players afterwards, but we were kind of a pretty unique group because we had uh, some kids that lived South of Grand. And then we had some of the neighborhood kids, a good diversity mix. And, you know, we were able to, to have a curriculum and stick to it. And we'd usually start, when they were U10 going in the IPSL, I don't know if they call it the IPSL now, but they would start, or U11 start in the IPSL, and we'd start in the second or third group. And by the, by the 12, we always had a, a group or two in the upper age group. So it, it was good. We wanted to be technical based. We wanted to teach connecting passes and, and playing and prioritize uh, technical ability. Um, and so that's what we did. It was it was pretty special. It's going to be kind of neat to see what Matt Ream does with that group. I know for a long time we tried to bring Soccer West and Soccer South together, and we did in some ways, but not in in all the ways. So I think this will be a, a neat uh, a neat thing for for that side of the city. Well, so I think after Drake, um, you go to Bradley, correct? No, I started oh. a program at South Dakota School of Mines. Oh, that's so right. That's right. So I went to the engineering school, great engineering school at an affordable price. Um, it was uh, pretty neat, good players. Uh, we were without a league, kind of like what Coach Holmes is doing with St. Cloud State. Now we were searching. We ended up in the GNAC. Um, and after the third year, um, there was some funding stuff and, and some different things going on. So uh Bradley had some turnover, so Jim DeRose said, hey, come out to Bradley. So I spent two years at Bradley. Um, Did Jordan Cadlick took, take over after you? Is, I mean, you yeah, got, Jordan, he was an assistant Jordan, up there, right? Yeah, Jordan Cadlick um, came on as an assistant my last year and did a great job. And then when I left, he stepped up to be the head coach and did, and did a good job. And, and then um, he just, I believe, made the personal choice to get out of soccer. And then, um, and then he, uh, yeah, is doing well, still in the area, coaching goalies, I believe, and, and, and coaching in the club up there. So I think he's doing well and, and still in the area. So 
Um, yeah, so we still have a legacy in that area, which is good. Um, and then went to Bradley for two years and then got the opportunity at Minnesota United to go, uh, to go create kind of their or revamp their camp program and be around the pro club and work a little bit with the development academy um, in the pre-academy and, and a couple of the younger age groups. And then um, to kind of bring the story back around, one of the players that I used to coach at Missouri State, um, Kansas City guy, and then a couple other guys that I got to know from being, um, being in Kansas City and were on the board of KYSA and they started throwing out names and my name came up. And so they said, hey, you should apply for this. So I did. And now I'm back in Kansas City. Um, you know, I think um, I got into coaching by accident. Um, so when I was at UMKC my senior year, I got in a little bit of trouble and um, got a yellow card, maybe a red card on an away game. So I got benched for a couple games for kicking somebody. And then um, we were driving to Chicago from Kansas City in two 16-passenger vans, and the assistant and the head coach had a disagreement. And so after that, the next week, Coach Mike Brown comes in and goes, Joe, you know, the assistant is leaving. Why don't you be my assistant? We can get you a part-time job in purchasing. You can help coach the club team. My club team's here called uh, – Voyagers West here in Blue Springs will make you some money and you can help with the recruiting and stuff. So I said, yeah, sure. I didn't know what I wanted to do being a liberal arts major. So I kind of got into coaching an accident as well. So, you know, it's, uh, makes you believe that, uh, everybody has a path and you're just going down it and see what happens next. So, so we'll see. Also talk to us about your new role. That's a good, good segue to, <sighs> Um, the state of Kansas and you're the executive director of the state association, correct? Yeah. So I've kind of come off the field and, and taken a leadership role for the state of Kansas, trying to make sure that we're offering quality services and products and, and growing the game here in the state of Kansas. So I'm in charge of creating sponsorship partnerships, you know, uh, organizing state cup a little bit. Um, but trying to be, trying to be the leader in, in the state of, of growing the game and making sure everything happens. So I'm actually coming off the field a little bit. I've been lucky. I've got a lot of friends here that said if I wanted to coach a session now and then, they'd be more than happy to let me coach. So I might take them up on that. But, yeah, so I've kind of taken a new uh, administrative role in, in growing the game and being the ambassador for Kansas also for USU soccer and U.S. soccer. So, so Joe, talk. A- we uh- – we, uh, we had Dan Cataldi, the uh, executive director for the Iowa Soccer Association. Uh, we've talked to him recently, and then we're going to also talk to Casey Mann over in Nebraska. Um, talk to us about uh, how Kansas is going through the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, what you, where, where you're at um, as far as... Yeah, by the as... way, that must have been a nice way to start your job. Huh. Yeah, it was. But to be fair, if I jumped into it when I did, I would be dealing with state cup and all that stuff. And when that stuff went away, I'm really dealing with one issue that has 17 layers instead of 17 one layer issues and a big event that we're hosting. So 
I think I got it off a little bit easy that I'm not running around crazy. I'm just kind of sitting in my office and solving problems and watching what the governor says about opening up and everything. So, um, yeah, so I think in a lot of ways, I'm lucky that it happened here because I would have been, this week would have been Kansas State Cup and we would have been running around crazy. So, um, so yeah. Um, yeah, so Blake, tell me your question again. Sorry, yeah, so I got you, so that's right. <laughs> that's all right. So you guys, uh, you canceled State Cup. Where are you guys at um, on the return to play? Are you guys, is there certain phases? Kind of who are you guys getting right. your recommendation? Whose advice are you following? Where are you guys all right. at with that? So in Kansas, it kind of went a little bit, went a little bit of a different direction. So um, the return to play became a little bit political in our, in our legislature. So we were, we were all geared up on a, on a way to get phases in. And then we get to phase two where you can start kicking around, having practice, social distancing. And then the governor gave all, the authority for reopening the state to the counties. So each county currently has a, is in a different place. Um, so Johnson County is in a different place than Sedgwick County in Wichita and in a different place in Shawnee County in Topeka. So it's kind of tricking that. So in Wichita, they're more open than we are in Kansas City um, because Johnson County's taken a, a little bit of a slower approach and, and um, change they're just kind of staying with the governor's timeline where Wichita has sped it up they haven't had any many more cases so they're already allowing rondos and different things to go where Kansas City is social distancing now kind of with that we have public and private facilities here that are all dealing with how they're mandating COVID differently as well so a public facility may not be open yet and have their rules all set up for when they get back to play and teams are scrambling to find space to train within the their county rules and then we have other pri private facilities that have gone above and beyond even our own state recommendations on how they want to conduct business because of the insurance and risk management that they have on their own side that we're doing. Now, as the state of Kansas, we did give guidelines and recommendations to all our clubs, how they want to do it. We really did it in, um, in four kind of categories. We did it, the club's responsibilities. We did it, the um, coaches' responsibilities. We did the parents' responsibilities and we did the player responsibilities. So, if everybody takes those to heart and, and plays closely to the R4 categories, you know, hopefully we'll get back to playing a little bit quicker. Um, but just like everything, it's just kind of making sure that we get buy-in from everybody and make sure they're doing it, which makes it a little bit harder when everybody's comparing what people are doing in other counties. So, what, Joe, real quick, so what direction is the state given, um, giving to the clubs? So like for instance, in Iowa, Currently, the state says, hey, you're not, uh, we won't kind of basically insure you until July 6th. That's our return to play date. Um, being June 3rd, what is today? June 3rd? No, June yeah, 4th. So Where are you guys at as far as the return so, to play date or whatnot? So we're, we're, we're playing around. I mean, our guys are practicing. We've done with our, our insurance, our secondary insurance. As long as they're filing their county guidelines, we're we can train. Now we're not playing games. We're not sanctioning out of state travel. Um, 
So Oklahoma is open and there's a tournament coming up, I believe next weekend. And there's some Wichita teams and stuff that want to go, but we're not letting people leave the state. So we're open for trainings at the different levels of the different counties, but we're not back to playing games. And that'll kind of happen. There's kind of two theories on what will happen. Either the governor or whatever will just jump over or each county will just say, okay, we're open, let's go. Or there'll be another step between, there'll be phase three that we'll jump into, which some of the counties are already in before we go to phase four, before the total opening of, of the state. So we're, we're training, to answer your question, we're training, we're obeying social distancing where we have to, and they're competing um, in some areas where they're allowed to do, do as they are saying they're in phase three. So we're, we're a little bit more all over the place than some of the other states. And trying to track it is a nightmare, but it's depending on the good people to make sure that they're, they're listening and we're encouraging all our clubs to make sure they're, they're in contact with their local officials. How are you guys handling tryouts? I know that was uh, kind of a unique thing that we're having to deal with here. Uh, tryouts are, you're talking about state cup being right now in Kansas, but right yeah. now is generally tryout time for us. So we kind of took a, a approach where we wanted to, to protect three entities, the coat, the, the players that liked where they were at, the players that wanted to move and the clubs to continue to have a revenue stream to stay viable. So right now, as of June 1st, if, if you're playing for Joe Burger FC and you want to return to Joe Burger FC and you don't want to go to the open Is that a good club, period, Joe Burger FC? Are you guys any good or? Uh, back in the day, we were pretty left-footed and it just kind of happened, I think. But, but, uh, but I don't know, I, I don't know what club to say. I guess I could say Soccer South. No, actually, I really like Joe Burger FC. Yeah, yeah, JBFC. I mean, it just kind of rhymes. It just kind of flows <laughs> off good. the tongue. Um, so you can sign up with your current club and not have to go through the open tryout process and maintain the spots. Now, starting uh, June 19th, you can go to your in-person tryouts, which per the timelines that we have, the state should be open, but you have to do some type of physical invitation if you want to go. Now, on the June 1st thing, you're kind of declaring that you're coming back to the club or you're going to go attend tryouts with your club. So you can sign up for tryouts now and si or sign up and place a deposit to reserve your, your spot in your current club. Or you can say, hey, Joe Berger FC is going to uh, Sam Holmes FC. And I'm saying, hey, I'm, I'm not, not sure I'm returning to Joe Berger FC. I'm going to go try out starting the 19th at Sam Holmes FC. So it's kind of, uh, if you like where you're at, you can stay and be committed and get your spot. But you can also, if you're looking for a change, you have the opportunity to do that and kind of declare that so the clubs can plan what they have to do for tryouts to hopefully not have 400 kids at a complex or a field going to tryouts to try to control the numbers a little bit. Do you think, Hey Joe, do you think that, um, so if I say I currently play at Joe Berger FC and I say, Hey Joe Berger FC, I'm going to go try out at Sam Holmes FC. Right. Does that, I mean, that's going to upset Joe Berger FC, right? They're going to say, Hey, um, so I guess what impact does that have on the kids? slash families when they when you know when the club learns oh they're gonna go try out over there um just curious on your guys's thoughts thought process there if it well all. well yeah i think 
I think hopefully the clubs are doing a good job and we're talking about very few kids that want to move. Um, but I think it just like youth soccer is a business, it's all going to come down to monies and cents and people are going to try out of different places. They're not going to make places. I don't think people will turn around, turn out, turn away kids that are looking for a place to play. I think, you know, I think that's always kind of a thing. You hope it's not that way, but you know, I think, unfortunately, I think tryouts are uh, sometimes a little free for all and you get those inklings no matter what the system is. And hopefully everybody's being professional about it and, and saying, Hey, listen, we understand go see if it's greener over there, but you have a place here if you want it and you want to come back. So, you know, my goal is just to make sure that every kid has a place to play and that wants to play. Um, and hopefully this will do it. But part of the concern that we heard from our club was we want to see if we can continue with our revenue stream. So if we can do that, that's why we set it up this way. And we're hoping that the majority of the clubs sign up with their own team, but we also wanted to protect the kids that, that were looking to move. And I think in some ways it could be pretty telling to a club of what kind of service they're providing. If, if you have 90% of return, you know, you're doing a good job. And if it's less than that, you know, what, what can you improve as a club to be a little bit more competitive? So, you know, it'll be interesting to see the feedback that we get if we would like to, and how our tryouts move forward in Kansas in the future. But uh, hopefully we can get through this tryouts. And so far the coaches have been really good and, and really bought in and trying to make sure that they're being professional and, and conducting things because I think everybody just really wants to get back to play. And they just, unfortunately, we're in this situation where, you know, everybody's trying to run a business and form teams in a situation that's like we haven't had before. I think um, you guys are in a little different, unique situation in Kansas with uh, with the with sporting having a professional club there, um, and kind of ODP uh, and whatnot. So, yep. um, just I don't know, just talk a little bit about um, ODP because when we were, you know, the best. I think it's fair to say the best kids um, maybe in Kansas are not playing ODP. They would be playing in the sportings. Uh, what is sporting system maybe is that if that's the best way to say it um, uh yes yeah, so we definitely have different pathways um to the for our kids down here in kansas um so having having sporting here they have kind of a pathway that sets you off into a different direction into the pro realm and into college identification on the guy side um, we have a pretty big ecnl presence here at a pretty good level, we have the GA league. Um, so our players get a little bit diluted a little bit because they are, have so many opportunities to do with what their club is. Now, part of my job is to continue working with Paul Fabry to how do we improve our ODP and attract, you know, some of the, the better kids back to ODP by providing services and and experiences and doing that. So we're looking at revamping our program a little bit um, and trying to make sure that we're providing a quality product on the field and off the field that can, can do it. We're looking at implementing video into our ODP program. We're looking at uh, 
helping them with their college recruiting, you know, and giving them giving them some experiences that maybe they couldn't have. I think Kansas in the past, um, with the group that I talked about, we made it to the semifinals of the region in Kansas because this was kind of before sporting was there. But I think there's a lot of good players here that we can get back to the days where, you know, we're being really competitive in the region. And just it's uh, going to be talking to the clubs and saying, hey, we'd really like you to support this. This is what we're doing. This is how we'd like to create a better experience. But as you know, youth soccer has changed. The kids are doing so much now where ODP used to be more of a supplemental um, kind of instruction type deal where a lot of these kids maybe don't need it because they're being so active and traveling so much. When the break comes, they want to be, they want to have the break. So how do we create a program that is, that is giving them what they want, giving them the opportunities to be seen by college coaches and, and doing it. So to kind of answer your question, we're kind of in a, a rebuilding phase, trying to make sure that we are providing a good quality service and um, hopefully get the buy-in from our club coaches to promote it uh, a little bit more in our area and, and uh, give the kids a good feeling about our program. So, I think that's interesting you bring up the point, especially with facilities down in Kansas City. Um, you guys obviously have volume-wise quite a few uh, facilities yep. down there to train inside. But when you – I mean, I think the club calendar or the club opportunities – like you said, with the ECNL um, route as well, maybe a little, there may be more of those than there are here. And then trying to find the balance of, hey, if the kids are playing in the club scene 10 months a year, how do you add ODP into that mix as well? That's, I think that's just an interesting balance you gotta, you gotta figure out. Well, and taking the bet, we have one of the biggest leagues here. The Heartland Soccer League is pretty big and, and we have the Wichita Soccer League, which is growing. Um, so they have league games. Also, we have a big tournament provider. I mean, there's a tournament in Kansas City at least two or three weekends a month all the time. So the, the calendar gets pretty full and it's finding those spots where we can do stuff and have events and, and service those kids the way they want to be serviced with dealing with the calendar that's already being made because the opportunity to play soccer in Kansas City there's abundance. It's not like we're, there's, there's chances to play all the time. And it's just finding our spot in the calendar to make sure that we can service it and, and give the kids the experience they want. Um, like I said, because you can play in a tournament or play a league game almost every weekend in Kansas city and in Kansas in general, even in so, Wichita. So it's, so it's, do you worry at all about, um, you know, kind of like, like you hear the argument sometimes that we're too organized and there's too much um, coaching and there, you know, whatever. Uh, do you think that there, it's over-programmed or do you think that uh, there's just, if the population is such that there's so many people that want so much to do that it's, you know, there's no big deal? <sighs> yes and yes. I, I mean, I think there's a little bit of both. Uh, I mean, it's keeping up with the Joneses a little bit. It's uh, making sure that your kid is getting exposure and, you know, if they're striving to play college soccer. Um, but I do think with everything going on, there'll be a reset in priorities for families. And it'll be interesting to see, like, what happens. Well, maybe we don't want to travel so much or, you know, we got a good league 
we're playing in a good league. Is that enough for some teams to do so their kids now, you know, enjoy vacations and different things? Um, I, I think we just professionalized youth sports so much that, that it becomes hard for some of these other programs to get a foothold because of the money involved and the stuff that they're, they're paying and the price of playing in some other programs, you know, I think, how do we, how do we balance all that? And some of that will be, you know, I think that will be clubs are looking at that. I think families are looking at that and deciding what, what they're, what's more important to them. Um, I, I think it, yeah, I, th I think we're in an interesting time, but I think there's just so much opportunity. You can play soccer indoor, outdoor in Kansas city every night of the week if you want to. And it's just how you decide to balance that and, and what is your personal choice or your family's choice to, to participate in that kind of stuff. Um, Not to go off on a major tangent, but do, what do you guys do for adults? What, uh, I mean, you've got all these opportunities to play. I think that's something, yeah. you know, also that we miss here in Des Moines and Iowa in general is, you know, the focus is almost entirely on the youth. And it's, it seems like that after talking to Dan Cataldi the other day, you know, uh, adult soccer is a priority for them to sort of expand and uh, increase the uh, participation. But w what's it like in Kansas? So in Kansas, it's a little bit different. Our two groups are actually split. So adult soccer and youth soccer are two different organizations. Um, so you're only we, concentrating on youth. I'm, I'm only concentrating on the youth. Um, but, you know, we have four or five old school indoor facilities with walls and stuff just for kicks, all American indoor sports, you know, kind of the old days of the Comets and, and different things that you can play. Um, most of the clubs have some kind of rec men's league or something. There's a really good, there's a couple of the sporting runs of men's league, uh, rush run a men's league there's some of these clubs out here that that have pretty good men's leagues so the adult the adults have plenty of opportunity to play here where we're not struggling um and they have kind of their own facilities that they can they can get access to you know most of our there's not too many 11 will be 11s going on it's mostly small sided but there, there's a lot of opportunity in kansas for the adults to play you can find one pretty easily so what um what role items, what's the relationship like with sporting as far as the youth system? Are they viewed as a competitor or are they viewed as an ally? I mean, I'm, ass I'm assuming both, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, we have a relationship with them and, uh, you know, a lot of their teams support ODP and, and their affiliates support ODP and, and state cup. So I think they're an ally, you know, I think they are, trying to do what's right. I mean, we're trying to provide service. They provide services as well. So I think we have to look at it as kind of a partnership to make sure that we are providing services to, to people who want it in the way they want it. Some people prefer us, some people have allied with them. You know, I think we're all kind of in the same page of growing soccer. So um, yeah, I would say, I would say it isn't, contentious or anything it's just trying to make sure that we're all providing a service and supporting each other really I think that's got to be part of it and making sure that we can you know serve everybody the way they want to be served and, and give opportunities for kids that maybe not have some of those access and some clubs that that uh that aren't are 
are not looking to be associated with sport and kind of be their own. So, you know, I think we were, we're, we're not contentious. So we're, we're just existing kind of together and hopefully we can continue to provide services and, you know, and where we can cross over, we will support each other. Go ahead. Man. I look like you were yeah. going to say something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so now you, so you've been in the job now for what, Joe, like a few months, two months, two months. Okay. Two months starting my third. Yep. Very good. So, so what are your kind of like, as you, as you uh, go into this, what do you see as your biggest challenges? Um, you know, Blake and I were talking about this the other day. Like, you know, for me, I do real estate. So like I have a certain set of challenges in my you know, day-to-day business. Um, and I bet you my challenges were a lot different in the first couple of months than they were, you know, now when I've been in it for you know, several years. So I'd just be curious what you foresee as, as uh, some of the short-term challenges and then maybe some of the longer-term things you're going to address. Uh, yeah, good question. So like short-term, I'm just trying to do my best to communicate with everybody. Like if they're calling me, I'm calling them back immediately. I'm trying to be clear and concise with my communication, trying to make sure if there's an issue that we can get to the bottom and try to be on the front foot and not let things fester. Um, Trying to make sure that, you know, we're following the protocols the best that we can for our tryouts, um, that our players are protected um, and safe. I think, you know, in the long term, you know, we want to try to make sure that we're, we're improving the competitive nature and the equality and not having clubs look at each other as, well, they are competitors, but not as villains, as, 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 uh, not allies. I don't know what the right word I'm looking for, but as, uh, as an, as a, that the competition for everything is, is competitive and, and is cl- and equal, you know, so the, the choice goes to the players and, 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 and increasing the processes and, and making it equitable. So nobody says, well, they have an unfair advantage because they do this or they do that. You know, how do we, how do we continue to move forward and, and structure where everybody thinks they're being treated fairly? And, um, not looking to get an advantage. I know that'll be hard and it'll be a monumental challenge. That's kind of the long term, but just trying to be just trying to be that resource that can that can help solve problems and and maybe uh alleviate some of the stress going on in their in uh, in clubs' lives and hopefully coming up with new solutions and new programming that makes people excited about uh being a member. I think that's that's what we want to try to get to. And, and, you know, everybody before us has done a great job. It's now what can we do to get it to the next level and maximize the state? You know, what can we do for referees? What can we do for the clubs? What can we do for our interval players with ODP? What other kind of player identification event can we create, you know, to help get kids identified for college or for scouts? You know, it's just kind of continuing to move forward. It's uh there's a lot to evaluate. Um, so the short term, it's just making sure that, hey, people look at it and say, hey, Joe Berger's a soccer guy. He's got some things on his plate, but he's going to do his best to try to do do what's right and make sure everybody is um, 
having having um, the opportunities that they want, and then you know, hopefully, hopefully, becoming one of the model states for uh, USYS. I mean, that's a big goal, and there's a lot of good states, but I don't think just like anything, you don't take on a new job and say, hey, I want it to keep going as it is. So it's just trying to see if we can continue to improve, you know, and it's just amazing talking with Casey Mann and Dan Cataldi and, and Nick, it's just amazing how many different issues each state has to deal with. So we're all kind of on our unique islands on trying to solve problems because I don't have some of the issues that Nebraska has or Iowa has, and they have different issues than Kansas has. So, you know, it's just trying to control what you can control and hopefully continue to, to improve the member experience. Well, it'll be, it'll be interesting when we talk to, to Casey and then to kind of compare the different conversations. Um, Cause I guess I, I just assumed that we would have a lot of the same challenges. So it's interesting for sure. It, well, it, it's all different. Like, Iowa doesn't have an MLS team and, you know, or have a bunch of, of different clubs, some clubs that aren't affiliated and affiliated clubs. And, you know, I have to deal with the Missouri Kansas border because they cross over and play leagues. Um, our governors are handling and even our organizations are handling the epidemics differently. I just think it's just hard to compare state to state because we're all dealing with so many different issues that, that, that like Dan is dealing with Iowa and Casey's dealing and Nick's dealing with in Missouri. It's just one of those deals where, yeah, we're all kind of lumped in the same, but we're all very, very different with the challenges that we're dealing with. So Joe, uh, I don't know. I've got, this is my last one for you. Kind of get back on a, maybe a more positive note um, <laughs> you know we've we've talked a little bit about how you know not not to you but Ben and I you know we've talked about how coaches they got to travel all over the place kind of to keep moving up the ladder um, and you've clearly I mean you've been all over small towns bigger yeah. uh, bigger communities give us whether it's playing on the road or whatnot give us like the best and worst environment you've uh you've coached at because I, mean, I remember the old Swope park before it used to be what it is now. I'm just like, that was not the best, you know, the old Drake uh, tennis center was not the best. Um, obviously being up in South Dakota, I'm assuming you guys have, you guys traveled to some crazy places, Baker, some crazy spots. So um, I don't know, kind of get, end us with the best and worst uh, site or location you've uh, you've coached at. Uh, man, that's hard. There's so many quality facilities and, and locations, but, uh, one of my favorite places, uh, to travel to was going to play Simon Fraser in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, you know, to take a kids on an international experience, you know, every year because we played home and away for two years and go there and Seattle Pacific was, was fantastic. Um, on the D1, just you're so lucky, like so many hard places to play, like Northwestern, the wind, uh, you know, it's always good playing at home, like, and every everything is has their own experience, but, you know, I thought 
Drake had a special place at home at County that with Joe Grandstaff and those guys, the way they took care of us and treated us was fantastic. Um, well, okay. So give us your worst. Like, I mean, Eastern okay. Illinois up the, could be, a, it could easily uh, be up there. Um, <laughs> Eastern Illinois was interesting. Uh, one of my buddies coaches there. So it was always fun in late <laughs> games where, if you were up big, you'd kick the ball into the lake, I guess. I forget what they call it, EIU Lake, right by the field. Blake, the worst place – You definitely worst... did that, didn't you? Oh, we we would. Yeah, they got that little pond right there, and it was a terrible field, and it was always seemed like the Sunday of a Friday-Sunday weekend. You know, it's a Sunday afternoon after playing Friday night. You're on a At small bus. Yeah, miserable. You know you've got like a 10-hour drive back home, and class the next morning. It was never a, uh, never exciting. So the worst place I've ever played, we played at this small school called Tabor College. And their field was nice, but the visiting team had to warm up and there was a cemetery right behind the field. So you're warming up, you're doing your shooting and ball. So to go get a ball, you had to go into the cemetery to get the ball after that. And balls are bouncing off headstones and... It was just one of the weirdest things because, you know, as a person, you go, man, this is a monument to somebody. But, you know, they put the soccer field right here and people are bounding balls off headstones and monuments <laughs> or knocking over flowers. It was just – it was – I don't – I don't know. The field wasn't the worst, but it was kind of the most awkward place that you would go play a soccer game. It was just so unique. Yeah, that sounds you know, bizarre. It was just – so you sit there and you sit there and you go, like, man, of all the places to put a soccer field, why here? And as the visiting team going to play, like, what does it do to your psyche right now? I mean, you're trying not to kick balls into the thing. Or, you know, when you're the – when I was a freshman and you'd be on the end of the bench and he would say, hey, Burger, go get that ball in the cemetery, you just kind of cringe. You know, like, uh, that's not a place I want to go. So, What city and state is that? Is that in? It's in Kansas. It's in Tabor, Kansas. Hills, actually, Hillsboro. His, sorry, I won't be able to say it. You got me all worked up. Hillsboro, <laughs> Kansas at Tabor College. Now, I'm sure they've moved the field now. I mean, that was in 1990. So... But it was it was awkward. I mean, literally, there was a Pizza Hut and a gas station in the town because Pizza Hut's from Kansas, so every little town had a Pizza Hut, and away you go. So, yeah, awesome. that'd have to be probably Tabor. Cool. I don't know, Ben. That was I don't have anything else. That was um, like you said, it's interesting just hearing kind of the issues and the things different states offer. Yeah, agreed. Joe, you want to give any shout outs quick before we let you roll? Well, you know, I, I mean, I have a lot of friends in Iowa and it's good that hopefully when they come to Kansas city, they come down and hit me up or I say hi when I see them at the field. And then, uh, you know, you always got to give a shout out to your mentors. You know, I've been lucky, you know, I got to work with Mike Brown, who's a, uh, a superintendent of schools at Platte city, obviously Sean Holmes, John Leamy, Jim DeRose, um, you know, I got to work around a lot of great people. So, I mean, I'm all kind of a product of them. I've taken a little bit from them and hopefully, uh, 
you know, I got a lot of good friends in Kansas, old teammates, alumni of Drake that have reached out to me since I've been back in Kansas City. So I just feel fortunate that there's a lot of good people that uh, are supporting me in my new role. And, and hopefully we can continue to make to make Kansas, uh, Kansas U soccer a, a better place for everyone. Awesome. Well, thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Yeah, good yeah luck. no problem. Yeah, thank you guys. And if you guys ever come down here, hit me up. I'll take you to the good barbecue places. <laughs> we'll take you up on that for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, take care and stay safe. All right. Thanks, guys. All right, Blake. That was fun. As usual, I love putting another interview in the books, but then, of course, uh, a special one because it's your boy Joe Berger and he had some funny little Blake stories too so yeah it's uh it's, it was good good chat good reminiscing um spending a, a year with Joe and then obviously we saw each other often um after I got done during his time here in Des Moines it was good catching up yeah it seems like his uh interesting to just kind of hear the difference in the roles between kind of the conversation we have with Dan and the conversation we have with Joe um Sounds like he's got a got a big job ahead of him, though. Yeah, I think uh, I mean he kind of said that, right? But also, I mean he sounded excited, and um, I don't know it's a pretty cool opportunity. Kansas, I think, as we talked to with Dan, Kansas is a little further ahead than we are, um, so a little more advanced. Obviously, a much bigger population, and then I still think you know some of the facilities they have down there are. Um, second to none and really cool yeah definitely you know we we started off our conversation with a little uh weather discussion um but i think that's an interesting piece to it too you know you're dealing with like a totally it's three hours south but it's just a totally different uh ecosystem i love that ben i it's couldn't have said it better for, myself a little shout for eduardo who's also not listening yeah. at this point um the mini right, pitch well, maestro uh, mini pitch maestro exactly well let's uh let's wrap it up because we know that nobody listens to the end anyways um another shout out to matt ream of course because we know he's listening um what else you got seeds anything yeah if anybody is you know let's obviously the social media plugs but rate us review us um make sure your, you subscribe download yeah do that's right subscribe absolutely all right all right we'll, uh, thanks we'll be back in a fun. week see you guys mm -hmm.